And so I'm excited to, to, to really, we launched this last week at church anniversary. I'm excited to move into part two of this today. And if you're ready for the word, I just want you to put ready in the chat. Come on, put ready in the chat. Say ready in the room. Ready, 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 ready. All right, class is in session, y'all. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Mark chapter 10, verse 46 says this. Then they came to Jericho, and Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus says, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I want to pause for this cause to tag a title to this text. I want to talk from this subject in our time together. Today, I'm applying pressure. Somebody put that in the chat. I'm applying pressure. I'm applying pressure. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with this cultural colloquialism I just used as the subject of this sermon, allow me to offer some insight. Applying pressure is simply a cultural phrase that suggests a number of different meanings. The first of which, or one of which, is simply to make something known. In other words, if a person really wants something and they passionately pursue it, exert an extraordinary amount of effort to get it, is saying that they applying pressure. Another, another connotation, which is probably um, one of the most popular ones, is applying pressure also speaks to the ability to overcome obstacles and excel with finesse at any given task. <laughs> this ability to take a licking and keep on ticking. I'm applying pressure. Last but not least, and the, the reference or the statement that is most salient for this sermon is this. Applying pressure means to dynamically demand what is just, what is due, and what is rightfully yours. It, it means you dynamically demand what is just, what is due, and what is rightfully yours. And if you allow me some pastoral privilege, I want to pause for the cause and communicate very candidly to those of you that are watching. It's time to apply some pressure. I'm going to say it one more time. 
because I want to make sure you heard me. I said it is your time. It is your season. It is your moment. It is your hour. This is your opportunity for you to apply some pressure. You've been desiring some things. You've been declaring some things. And now it's time for you to possess some of those things. But you will not apprehend what you want if you do not apply some pressure. And as your instructor, here in Faith University, I want to aid and assist you in applying some pressure. I want you to be properly prepared to possess every promise that's been preordained from the foundation of the world. I I want you to be prepared to live through those who will leave you when you make a decision to be better for you. Woo! Yeah, I want you to be prepared to handle those who will not be able to handle what's getting ready to come in and through you as a result of you getting ready to apply pressure. Watch this, when you look at your life, many of you, if you will honestly assess it, you can say, I got to where I am and I know I ain't even operating in my potential. Yeah, yeah, you you can say, I am where I am and I know there's more in me. I know I could have been applying more pressure. So if God did this with me half doing my life, what is God getting ready to do? Now that I'm about to put some pressure behind my pursuit of my promise. As your instructor this month, I want to give you some insight. I want to offer you an example, a case study, if you will, of an individual who is an amazing example of what it looks like to apply pressure. It's, 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 it's seen here in Mark chapter 10. Mark 10 exposes us to an interesting encounter between Jesus and a man named Bartimaeus. I, I want you to catch this. Our initial introduction to the context of this story offers some valuable insight. See, when you, when you look at verse 46, you'll see Mark gets very detailed and very specific about things that would seem to be inconsequential. Verse 46 says, it's right there in the text, it says, Mark gives us the location of the miracle. He says it took place in Jericho. I'm not even going to bother that and the historical implications and, and the ramifications of what happened with Joshua in Jericho. Yeah, but, but here, <laughs> Jericho's the place, which re- Jericho's a place physically, which represents a place spiritually or emotionally where walls come down. Did you hear what I said? See, you, you've got to remember that the walls in Jericho were set up like a fortress. And it was to prohibit and inhibit enemies and adversaries from getting in. It's a way of the enemy attempting to prevent you from inhabiting what belongs to you. See, it's some stuff that belongs to you is on the other side of the wall. And whether or not you get it is going to be based on whether or not you allow the wall to intimidate you. But God, did you hear what I just said? 
Yes, yeah. Some people look at the wall and then assume it's not in God's will. What if I told you sometimes the wall is not an indication that it's not in God's will. Sometimes the wall is an indication it is in God's will. And God wants to know, are you willing to act in faith? And knock the wall down. Don't miss this. The Bible says the walls fell when they shouted, but it says they fell flat. God made the wall a ramp. I don't know who this is for, but I'm going to say that one more time. God made the wall a ramp. And the things that have been blocking you and keeping you out and prohibiting you from possessing the promise are about to be some things that are going to fall flat and you're going to walk on and walk in what was keeping you out. It, it happened in Jericho, but that's not all Mark tells us. Look at the text. That's not all Mark tells us. Mark says something. It seems so inconsequential. He says, and Jesus went into Jericho. Look at it. It's right there. And then it says, he went out. Y'all missed it. It's right there in verse 46. Look at it. It says, Jesus went into Jericho, right? It tells us nothing about what happened when he went in. It says, though, as he goes out, he runs into Bartimaeus. Okay. So it means, watch this now, Bartimaeus was blind when he went in. But he missed him when he went in. He wasn't sitting on the road when he came in. So it could seem like that was a missed opportunity. Uh, have you ever felt like you've been out of place when opportunity walked by? Have you ever felt like if you had been better prepared or in a better mental place or in a better financial place or in a better spiritual place, you could have taken advantage of other opportunities? And the enemy wants you and I to feel like all is lost if you miss him in going into Jericho. But I want to tell you, if you got enough faith, you believe God will circle back around and say, I may have missed it on the way in, but I'm going to catch it on the way out. I missed it last time I was immature, but I'm ready now. I, 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 I fumbled it last time, but I'm ready now. I wasn't strong enough to handle it last time, but I'm ready now. Just because I missed it on the way in doesn't mean I'm going to miss it on the way out. They that wait upon the Lord. <laughs> Interesting. He, he goes out and then he comes in to Jericho. Don't, don't, don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. <laughs> it says, as he goes out, are y'all track with me here? Y'all see that? He missed him on the way in. That's the first opportunity, but he got him on the way out. That's the second one. Because God's the God's second chances. See, now, now here's the problem. The problem is in many places we only believe him to be the God of second chances when it comes to forgiveness. I mess up, so he, forgive me. I want to tell you he's not only the God of second chances when it comes to forgiveness. He's the God of second chances when it comes to favor. Watch this. Watch this. So as Jesus comes out, 
it says Bartimaeus is sitting, that's what Mark says, by the roadside begging. He blind, but he's sitting by the roadside begging. <laughs> I'm not going to bother this. Because his request changed when he heard who was in proximity. As long as people was walking by, he was asking for money. But when Jesus walked by, he said, oh, you can do something they can't do. And some people stay stuck because you confused on who to ask for what. You asking them to do what only he can do. Did you hear what I just said? What if I told you that some of the disappointment you had in people has been divinely arranged? What if I told you God allowed some people to let you down so he could teach you who to ask what to? He said, I keep letting them let you down so that you stop asking them for that. You asking them to make you feel strong. They can't do that. You, you asking them to fix your self-esteem. They can't do that. You asking them to make you feel secure. They can't do that. You asking them to make you feel worthy. They can't do that. Ha! Only I can do that. Watch this now. He's, 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 he's blind, but he's begging. And I feel safe in saying... His issue, blindness, had something to do with his economy, begging. So he had an issue that was producing other issues. Think about what it means to be blind during this, right? During this context. You can't even move around without somebody else. Think about being an adult and having to be so dependent on somebody else's generosity in order for you to move. That every time you, you want to move somewhere, you've got to lean on somebody else to help you do it. Just all kinds of issues that this blindness, because sometimes an issue produces issues. Am I making sense now? Yeah, he... he, he now, this detail, though, should offer some encouragement to those of us that are experiencing that because an issue of, watch this, affects our issues or creates some issues. So, so watch this. Maybe it's not as bad as you think. Maybe it's not issues. Maybe it's an issue. See, Bartimaeus' issue wasn't badness. It was blindness. Am I making sense here? All right, now, here's the good news. The good news is Jesus knew what issue to fix. Because sometimes he don't fix the issues. Sometimes Jesus fixes the issue. And we upset. We like, don't you see all of these issues? You're not working on all these issues, Jesus? And Jesus is like, I am working on all these issues, but I'm working on all these issues by working on the issue. See, watch this. Just because I'm not working where you want me to work doesn't mean I'm not working the way you need me to work. And when I get through working, 
the way I'm working it, you will be glad and grateful that I worked it this way. <laughs> Text says he's sitting there. Y'all all right? I'm almost done. Text says he's sitting there and he heard that Jesus was passing by. Now listen, look at text, listen what he said. Jesus of Nazareth, son of David. Mark put all that in now. <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth, son of David. It's like you call him by his government name, <laughs> his spiritual name. I mean, you, you call every name. This is so interesting to me. Now watch this. <laughs> Woo! Him calling Jesus son of David suggests something very important. We talked a little bit about this last week. This is, remember now, we don't have faith in faith, we have faith in God. So the way you strengthen your faith isn't just learning about faith, it's about learning about God. Because the, not, 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 the, not the activist, but the, the reformer, Martin Luther says, the strength of faith is only, uh, excuse me, faith is only as strong as the character and the competence of who you put it in. That's what the theologian Martin Luther says, right? In other words, what, what does that mean? It means that I can say something to you and somebody else can say something to you and one holds more weight than the other. It's not just the words that's spoken. It's the character of the person that speaks them that gives credibility to the word. This is why God regularly says things like, I'm not a man. I don't lie. If I said it. Now, now, now watch this. So him saying, son of David, says... I recognize that you're not literally David's son, but the promised Messiah is going to come from the seed of David. So I want you to know that even though I'm blind, I see you. Y'all better come get me today. He said, even though I'm blind, I see you. I know you're no ordinary rabbi. I know you're no ordinary teacher. I know there's something different about you that can fix what other people can't fix with me. He, he, he says, I, I, I see you right. Now, I've taught you this before, but it bears repeating. Now, this, this, remember now, transformation doesn't come from knowledge. Transformation comes from mastery. So you don't change because you know it. You change because you've mastered how to do it. So it doesn't matter how many times this church will be like, I heard this before. Are you doing it though? I know this already. Are you doing it? Do you have mastery? Don't just be hearers of the word and so deceive yourself. Don't leave that out. It says, don't just, right, because hearing the word can be so inspirational and so empowering that we can be deceived into thinking all I need to do is hear. And God's like, I ain't sending this word just to make you feel better. You reducing me to that? You reducing me to a God 
that simply helps you cope? The creator of the universe? And you're going to limit me to just helping you cope? The ultimate expression of intellectualism? And you're going to limit me to just helping you cope? I don't want you to just cope. I said you're not even, not, you're not a coper and you're not a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. You don't conquer. You do more than conquer. And I told you this before. The God you see is the God you get. So we can worship the same God and have two totally different experiences with him. Because some people only see a God who can help them with their begging. Other people see God, which represents natural stuff. Other people see a God that can help them with their blindness. Supernatural stuff. Exceedingly. Abundantly. Above. All you can ask. Think or imagine. Yeah, some people see a God that can just help them halfway recover. Other people see a God that'll do for you what he did for Job. He says, I'm not just going to give you back what you lost. I'm going to give it back to your double. The God you see is the God you get. So you don't know that when you heard that. You know that when you live like it. Because it's not knowledge that changes. It's mastery. Mastery, what's that? Dominion. Self-leadership. The ability to lead yourself into applying the revelation that you're getting. He says, I'm blind, but I see you. This is interesting. The text says he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. Look at it. It's in there. Oh, yeah, it's in there. He heard it was Jesus of Nazareth. He couldn't see. But he heard. After he heard, he spoke. Jesus of Nazareth, son of David, have mercy on me. Let me tell you, because this is the way faith works. Somebody put this in the chat. Faith births creativity. Y'all, did you hear what I just said? Faith will make you creative. Faith will make you say things like, if I could just touch. Yeah, nobody ever got healed by touching anything. But faith will make you say, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. <laughs> it, it, it makes you creative. Faith will say, what? I got 5,000 men to feed, not counting women and children. And I don't have enough go around. And all I got is two fish and five loaves of bread. Faith will say, bring it to me. And watch me do a miracle with what some people feel like is not enough. Faith makes you creative. Right here, here it is. Here it is. And cre creativity. Listen, listen to me. Cre faith births creativity. And creativity births limitless living. See, some stuff that limits us only limits us because our creativity is limited. 
What, what, what are you saying? It's right here in the text. What do you mean, Darius? It's right here in the text. You see, without faith, this man would have said, okay, Jesus is passing by, but I can't see him. So I don't know if that's really him. So I'm just going to sit here and keep begging. He, now watch this. So he could have, he this is what faith, the absence of faith does. It causes you to look at your eyes that aren't working. Think about this. Most of the people that were with him probably could see. So a life with the absence of faith makes you look at what other people have that you don't. They can see I can't. Are y'all following me today? But, but his willingness to use his ears and his mouth is an indication that he believed just because I don't have what they have doesn't mean I can't have what they have. Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, you may not have the husband, but you can have happiness. You may not have the degree, but you can have an amazing job. Your company may not have their size and their staff, but you can still get the contract. Because I don't have to have eyes to get a miracle. I'll use my mouth. I'll use my ears. And I'm not going to focus on what I don't have. I'm going to focus on what I do have. And I'm going to get creative. And I'm going to get a miracle. You don't have eyes, but your ears work. I don't have that, but I got this. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? <laughs> Woo! Glory to God. I feel that thing right there. I said, I feel that one. I feel the witness of the Holy Spirit right there saying, park here for a minute. Because some of us assume I can't get to where they've gotten to because I don't have what they have. And God's like, you just made what they have sovereign and not me. I'm the only thing necessary. Everything else is an accessory. I'll use whatever I want. So sometimes when I heal somebody, I ain't use, I didn't have to use my garment. I use my words. When the centurion came to me, I didn't even go to his house. I just spoke the word. Because the things you think are necessities, they just accessories. I'll use whatever I choose. I'll spit in dirt, make the dirt mud, put it on your eyes and give you eyesight. Because what you think is a necessity is an accessory. Somebody put in the chat, it's still for me. Yeah, it's the, yeah what God has for me, it's for me and it's still for me. And I may not have everything that they have, but I'm going to get everything I'm supposed to get because it's still for me. I've been working heavy in this entrepreneurial space with people in what's called the knowledge-based business. Because very often in entrepreneurial spaces, uh, entrepreneurialism is limit, limited to what a person does technically with their hands, which is important, right? Whether it's the creation of products, things of that nature, that's important because th those are solutions to problems. Don't get me wrong. But see, there's also another space over here 
where it's not necessarily what you do with your hands. It's what you have in your head. You got me? See, a doctor solves problems with what they know. You got some that perform surgery. A lot of them don't. They solve problems with what they know. Lawyers solve problems with what they know. Fitness trainers solve problems with what they know. Am, am I making sense here? So sometimes people can feel like I can't create a business entity that solves problems in the earth because I can't do what these other people do. I can't create phones. I can't design cars. I can't design products. But what you know is a solution to somebody's problem. Are y'all hearing me here? Because you don't have to have what they have to have what they have. Let me go. Y'all tired of me in the chat? I can see. Here it is. Here it is. The text says, are y'all ready for this? Because it's getting worse. It's about to get worse. Text says, while he's screaming, it says the people around tell him to be quiet. Now, if you really look at the NIV, it says they rebuke him. You got me? So it wasn't just a shh. It was a shh. You too loud. Leave Jesus alone. Now, the disciples were included in that group. So I feel safe in saying the same ones who were trying to stop little children from coming to him. The same one that told the sorrowful Nishan woman whose daughter needed an exorcism, who told Jesus, send us away. The same one that was surprised that he talked to the woman in John 4 at the well. It seems to me there's a pattern of behavior where the disciples were likely among the ones that were saying, be quiet. So his faith has to survive the silencing attempts of the religious. That's too much. It doesn't take all that. And you don't need all that. I can't see, but did you die, Bartimaeus? <laughs> did you die? They told him to be quiet. He applied pressure. Read the text. It say they they said be quiet. He got louder. <laughs> he didn't know. Did you hear what I just said? He didn't just <laughs> he didn't just keep going. He got louder. He said, "I'm getting ready to apply pressure because uh, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to him. I got to go, but I'm a holler till he hear me." <laughs> you can call me whatever you want to call me. But when he comes see about me, you're going to call me healed. You can call me a holy roller now, but you're going to call me healed later. You can call me crazy now, but you're going to call me blessed now, later, because I'm going to holler until he hear me. Text says, I'm almost done, y'all all right? Text says, he got louder. And the text, read it, y'all. It's right there. It says, and Jesus stopped. Is that, is, is that the book? It said he stopped. 
It means he's walking. He's progressing. But he stopped. There were people all around him. I'm sure they weren't quiet. But he stopped. Don't miss this. He hollered. They said, be quiet. He hollered louder. And Jesus stopped. He hollered. They said, be quiet. He hollered louder. Jesus stopped. Because faith has a sound. Did you hear what I said? See, everybody that has a scream doesn't have a sound. Inside the scream is a sound. Jesus said, I heard something that's pulling on my power. I heard something that's going to make me stop right here. Hang out a while. Engage in a unique and extraordinary way. But look at the text. It didn't just say he, he stopped. This, I saw this, y'all, when I was preparing this message. I, 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 was, I, want to, I want to fall out like the Baptist women used to do in the pews in the church I grew up in. You know, I just fall out, just slide down the pew. I, I wanted the Baptist fall out when I saw this. Just, you know, I just slide all the way down in the pew. Like, I, 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 want to, I want to slide. I want the Baptist slide when I saw this. That's the Baptist slide. Watch this. It says, and Jesus said, call him. Some, somebody look at the text and see if I'm telling the truth. It said, it didn't say Jesus called him. Don't you mess with me. He told them to call him. The same people that were telling him to be quiet are the same people that Jesus made calling. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? Yeah, faith has a way of causing Jesus to respond to your critics when you don't have to. He didn't talk to the, he didn't talk to the critics. He talked to Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm going to make you bring the one to me that you tried to keep from me. Now look at the text, because this shows you the fickle and fragile nature of people. Text says that they said to him, cheer up. He calling you. Now how you switch up on me that fast? Okay, y'all miss, miss it. You was treating me some kind of way. Until you saw he called me. Ah, did you hear what I just said? Yeah, you, you, you would treat me some kind of way until you saw I was getting ready to get to know somebody you wanted to know. You would treat me some kind of way until you see I got proximity to power. And now that you see I got proximity to power, you won't tell me cheer up. You cheer up. You cheer up. I'm almost done. Here it is. Look at the text, though. Look at the text. Look at the text. Look at the text. We're going to be doing this this whole series, just expository preaching, all right? So this month isn't topical. It's all expository. So I'm going to need you to, I, I want you to see what I'm showing you in Scripture. Text says this. It's, it's really interesting now. Don't miss this. It says, <laughs> and throwing away his cloak. Mark, why are you telling me that? 
Mark, you didn't say he got to Jesus and then took off the cloak. You said he took off the cloak before he got to Jesus. Now, I don't know exactly what this means, but here are a few hypotheses. The first of which is this. Some suggest that beggars during that day, excuse me, those that were blind during that day or had specific ailments would wear specific garments so that others would be able to identify their issue so that they could interact with them properly. So this man, if that is the case, then if that is the case, then this man throwing his cloak off is this man saying... I'm not going to need this anymore. And I want to know, is there anybody watching, anybody in the room that'll say, I'm not going to wait until he do it to throw my cloak off. I'm not going to wait till the battle's over to shout. I'm getting ready to praise him right now. He threw threw the cloak off. Another hypothesis is it was simply the equivalent of a homeless garment. Hand me down because of his economic condition. And therefore, his throwing off the cloak means that he understood not only is my eyes getting ready to change. My my economy getting ready to change too. I'm not going to need this because when Jesus fixes my eyes... I'm getting ready to fix everything in my life. Did you hear what I just said? And I'm telling you, that's what the enemy is afraid of with some of you. He afraid of you getting your eyes. Because when you get your eyes, it's going to change the way you handle relationships. When you get your eyes, it's going to change the way you handle opportunity. Once your eyes get fixed, you getting ready to go fix the other stuff. Another perspective is this. Another perspective is there was no symbolic meaning in the coat at all, but that he was going to move so quickly that he wanted to throw off anything that would weigh him down or trip him up. He said, I don't care how long I've been wearing this. I've been blind way too long. And I'm not about to trip up on my way to my next because I'm not willing to throw off something that's been on me a long time. And I can't. And some people can't get their healing because they're too in love with their history. Let me go. I'm, 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 <laughs> it says, I'm not going to bother this. It says that he comes to Jesus and Jesus asks him, what you want me to do for you? The man who knows everything and who needs nothing asks the question he already know the answer to. What you want me to do? And I, if he asks you, do you have an answer? If he come to you the way he came to Solomon and say, what you want? Do you have an answer? I'm not going to bother this, but faith, optimism, optimism, optimism is ambiguous and dubious. 
Faith is specific. I'm just hoping it kind of work out. That's optimism. Faith makes you optimistic, but faith is not optimism. What you want? I just kind of want it to get better. No, faith is specific. What you want? To see. What you want? Some money. What you want? A man. What you want? A miracle. What y'all aren't talking to me. Faith is specific. So what do you want that I may receive my sight? And Jesus says, go, your faith, is that the text, has made you well. Now, wait a minute. He ain't say, my power. He attributes the miracle to his faith, not his power. Meaning that this happened not because of my power alone. This happened because of your faith. Which means if you didn't apply this pressure, you would have lived. You just would have lived at a level that was beneath my best for your life. Ah, did you hear what I just said? It's like, no, no, no. You would have lived. You just would have lived begging and blind. And you would have called it my will and it wasn't. I would have let you live there because I'm a shepherd, not a pharaoh. I lead, I don't force. I compel, I try to convince, but I don't force. I set before you today two paths. I call heaven and earth as a witness. I set before you two paths, life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life. What area are we begging and blind that we don't have to be because we want to apply pressure? <laughs> this man is a case study of what happens when we understand that one of the ways faith expresses itself is through our resilience. the unwillingness to be denied when it comes to pursuing what I know he promised. You know he promised peace. You know he promised peace. And when you apply pressure, you say, I have an unwillingness to be denied in getting peace that passes all understanding. It means I refuse to stop fighting to live a life that is characterized with the peace of God. It's applying pressure. Even when I look at this church, every single door that God's opened, everything that's, we had to apply pressure. We had to believe God. We had to fight back unbelief. Every single thing. In the church space, in the business space, everything I've done, even in business, I had to apply pressure. I remember doing events years ago. Some of you remember them. Timothy Summit, Thrive, losing money. Every event, applying pressure. Say, but I know God wants me to add value in this area. 
I know I'm called to be a priest and a king. I got to apply pressure. Where have you settled for begging and blind? And you don't have to. God's sending this word to agitate you out of average today. I promise you. God's like, I'm trying to use this word to get underneath your skin. He said, I hope I'm all in your skin. To apply pressure. I'm done. Can I show you three things Bartimaeus did practically? They're going to put this on the screen. This is the first thing he did, and we need to do. Learn how to watch this weight on the pace of grace. When you apply pressure, you got to learn. See, watch this. Think about what would have happened if Bartimaeus would have left that spot on the road too soon. <laughs> um, come on now. He positioned himself on the way out. What would have happened if he'd have left that spot too soon? If he didn't believe God was going to circle back around. Many times we fail to to wait on the pace of grace. God says, I'm going to put you in place before I get there. I'm going to tie the ram before you get to the mountain. And I want you to trust my pace. You stay in place and I want you to trust. I'm going to come back around. If you stay in position, yeah, I'm putting you in place because I know my pace. Grace has a pace. It'll come back around. It'll circle back around. That's for everybody that feels like you missed an opportunity. You got to wait on the pace of grace. Jesus is like, I'm not running close to you. I'm not running back. I'm walking back. Stay in, stay in positional. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming back around. Stay in position. Number two, learn to ignore those who put their preferences above your purpose. See, part of Bartimaeus' purpose was to get healed to show us that healing's possible. And if he would have listened to the preferences of people who told him to be quiet, he would not have accomplished his purpose. And what some people are telling you to do has nothing to do with your purpose, but everything to do with their preferences. Their preferences. Don't you do that. Why? Because I don't want you to do that. What's that got? That's your preference. That's not my purpose. And number three, learn to leave what you are comfortable wearing. I don't know how long he was wearing that, that coat. It was probably comfortable. But if we're going to apply pressure, then we need to learn how to leave some stuff you've been wearing. Does that make sense? Some of us been wearing passivity. That's why you're not applying pressure. Too passive. And, and, and you've been wearing it so long, it's comfortable. It's easier not to say anything for you. It's discomforting to say something. Or vice versa. But I'm telling you, if you'll apply pressure, You can possess promises. Faith is resilient. Listen to me. Faith 
will not get you more than what you're supposed to have. But not having faith will get you a whole lot less. And I pray today that you would be encouraged in this way. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you're stirring us today and igniting in us a desire and a passion to pursue what you promised. I, I pray that faith is being imparted to, to your people. I pray even for the spiritual gift of faith to be deposited in the hearts of your people. Some people are in seasons where they need that like never before, and I pray for that. I pray for a resurrection, and I pray for a revival of fatigued faith, faith that's, that's just ran out of energy. Uh, I pray, God, for strong faith and long faith. In the name of Jesus, I pray for just clarity and awareness of what we're supposed to pursue and what we're supposed to let go of. And if it is ours, if you've ordained it for us, may we passionately pursue it. May we apply pressure to our faith in Jesus' name. And I pray for testimonies of life change. I pray for testimonies of books written. I pray for testimonies of things started as a result of your people stepping out and pursuing what you promised. I ask this in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Clap your hands in the studio. Put some fire in that chat.